Good morning, Sugar Creek family. It is a joy to worship with you guys, whether you are watching online or you are physically present at our Richmond Rosenberg, Missouri City, or Sugarland campus. On behalf of our lead pastor, Dr. Mark Harmon, I wanna welcome you to the service and I pray the Lord speaks to your heart uh, this morning. My name is Ender Palencia and I have the undeserved joy and privilege of serving this amazing church as the missions pastor and I have the task of teaching the word of God to you guys today. Uh, about four years ago, I had a, a privilege and a blessing that I know not many people get, but four years ago, I was naturalized as a citizen of this amazing country that we live in. And praise God, it was a beautiful blessing. And I remember that ceremony lasted for about two or three hours. There were about a hundred or so of those that were trying to, or getting naturalized. And, and during that ceremony, there was a moment or a, a, during that, that, that time where all I could do was cry. I was just overwhelmed by emotions and, and I was just crying. And I was crying because I could see the previous 15 years of my life just kind of flashing through my mind. Because while the ceremony of naturalization lasted for two or three hours, the process to get to that moment lasted about 15 years and cost thousands of dollars. And it all started uh, with me making one of the most difficult decisions I've made in my life when I was only 20 years old. So at that age, my parents were going through a very difficult situation in our home country and we couldn't see a way out of it until there was a small window that opened for me to potentially come to this country. And I decided to use all the money that I had available to me at the time to buy one plane ticket to come to this country. I packed all my clothes and everything I own and value in a blue suitcase, a few uh, things that were important to me, a few family pictures, and I made my way here with a friend. And when I made my way here, I left behind my parents, I left behind my siblings, I left the, the rest of my extended family, my friends, my culture, my country, everything I knew and I loved up to that point, I, I had to leave behind. And while I'm extremely thankful for the opportunities that I've received in this country, I gotta tell you, leaving my family at that airport was one of the most gut-wrenching things I've ever done in my life. And so as I was sitting in that ceremony, I was saying not just that moment in my mind, but also the 15 years that followed after that with a lot of good moments to celebrate and a lot of painful moments and not having family around, almost like a piece of my heart here and a piece of my heart with my family. So I was overwhelmed with all these emotions because immigration is not an easy thing to go through. And yet, even though it's so difficult, emotionally speaking, there are still thousands and thousands of people who, who make a similar decision every single day. There are thousands of people who cannot find opportunities or safety in their home country, and they feel the need to go look for those things at a different country. And many of them come to our country. Thousands of people come to this country every single day, even to our city. And I think if it is so difficult and emotionally painful and we still have that many people uh, uh, making the same decisions, that should raise a few questions among us. Questions like, why do they decide to leave behind everything they know and love to look for these two things? 
also questions like, why does God allow this to happen? The movement, the migration of people. And questions like, what should be our role in all of this? As Christians, as the people of God, what should we do with this issue called immigration? Those are some of the questions that we're gonna try to answer today. We are in the middle of a sermon series called Refocus. We're looking at some of the moral issues that are more controversial in our society today, and we're trying to answer those issues uh, through a biblical worldview. Now, uh, today, as we talk about immigration, I want to remind you that this is not a political series. This is a biblical series. So I want to uh, remind you that my job and our job here as we address these issues is not to try to take a political stand and promote that stand uh, from the pulpit, but rather to open the Word of God, open the Bible and say, this is what the Bible says about this particular issue so that we can be the people that God wants us to be. And so I also want to remind you of a few things that are uh, important and essential as you look at any issue from a biblical worldview. The first one uh, was already mentioned by Pastor Mark last week and he did a masterful job explaining it, but it's that we human beings, all of us, are created in the image of God. God made human beings in his likeness and in his image and he created us to have a personal, perfect relationship with him. That's what he wants with human beings. But unfortunately, we human beings decided to trust our instincts instead of God. We disobeyed God. We see this in Genesis. From the moment of creation, everything was perfect until sin entered the world, until we human beings disobeyed God. And in Genesis, you see how uh, sin continues to progress and get worse and worse and worse. And in Genesis 11, it got to the point that uh, because of sin, people were dispersed into different regions of the world and the languages were confused. You see, that leads me to the second thing that I want you to remember as part of this biblical worldview is that God wants to redeem humanity. God had a plan in motion. He set out that plan in motion from the very beginning when sin entered the world to redeem human beings. And not just human beings, but redeem human beings from all nations. In Genesis chapter 12, as soon as the languages were confused, God called a man named Abram to become an immigrant, basically, to leave behind everything he knew and loved at the time and to go into a new land. And he says, in that new land, I'm going to bless you. I'm gonna give you a descendants and I'm gonna make you into a great nation so that your nation can be a blessing to all nations. This is what he says in Genesis 12. And you see through the rest of the Old Testament that God actually has a love and a passion to redeem humanity and people from all nations. Sure enough, Abram left his land and eventually he had a son named Isaac. Isaac had two sons, one of them was Jacob. Jacob had an encounter with God. God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. Israel had 12 sons, one of those was Joseph. And Joseph uh, was sold as a slave by his brothers and he ended up as a slave in the land of Egypt, a foreign country. But God had a plan in mind and he used that for his own glory and he actually elevated Joseph from being a slave to being the second in command in the land of Egypt. And when he held that position, the entire region uh, went through a horrible famine and because of the position he had, he was able to help his, parent, his dad and his household migrate to the land of Egypt. And this is how the, the nation of Israel became to be as the Israelites. They, they become the nation of Israel at this point. And in Egypt, they grew and they became into this big, great nation. But the Egyptians felt threatened by them. And after several generations, they enslaved them and treat them poorly until God saved them. 
He sent a man named Moses to free them and to take them to the land that he had promised to Abraham years ago. And as they were on their way to that land, God actually gave them a moral code and he says, this is how you are to live. This is how you behave. These are the books of the law in the Bible. And you see that God actually teaches or talks to his people about the immigrant in the Old Testament in scripture. And you see that in the Old Testament, God actually commands his people to love and care for the immigrant among them. You see that clearly detailed out in the Old Testament. Look at several passages that say that. If, uh, Exodus chapter 22, verse one, uh, 21 is one of those. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Uh, Leviticus 19, 33 and 34. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you. You shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 19. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. So you see that God makes this command very clear to the people of Israel, to his people. Once somebody's in your land, you are to love them. You are to care for them. You have to treat them with respect. You have to treat them like you want to be treated. And when you look at these passages, you see that there are at least three reasons why God tells his people to do this. Uh, The first one is this, God wants his people uh, to remember his saving grace. God always wants his people to remember his saving grace because that leads us to treat others the way uh, God wants us to treat them. And you see it clearly in this passage we just read. Every one of them says, where God told them to love the immigrant or take care of the immigrant, he says, remember that you too were an immigrant in Egypt. And I saved you out of a very uncomfortable situation. I saved you from uh, not having a land, not belonging anywhere. I saved you from that. You too were an immigrant and I saved you from it. Remember God's saving grace. The second reason is this. God also wants his people to share his mercy with others. This is a truth that you see all across scripture and you see here too. He says uh, that they were to love the immigrant in the same way that they loved themselves is what he says. So in the same way that you want to receive grace, that you want to receive mercy, in the same way that you receive grace and mercy when I took you out of Egypt, that's how you are to treat other people with grace and mercy. And Jesus actually uh, talked about this. When he was asked what the most important command is in Matthew 22, 37 through 39, he says, it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with your mind. And he said immediately, and the second one is like it, you also have to love your neighbor as you love yourself. In Matthew 7, 12, Jesus says similar words. He says, in the same way you want to be treated, you are to treat other people. So you see, this is a part of God's character. He wants us to share the mercy and the grace we have received with other people. But not just other people, but people from all nations. That's the third reason why God called his people to love the immigrant, is because God wants people from all nations to, ex- to know him and to experience his love. Like I said, this is part of God's heart. You see it in Genesis 12 and you see it across the entire word of God that he has a heart for the nation. You see it here in Leviticus 19, 34, that verse we just read. He finished that command to love the immigrant with the phrase, I am the Lord your God. This phrase is repeated 15 times in chapter 19 in Leviticus. And this is intentional. 
The, the book of Leviticus is law after law after law after law. And in chapter 19, he gives them the reason for the law. He begins the chapter saying, you should be holy because I am holy. This is what he says from the very beginning of the chapter. And then he summarizes some of the commands that he had given him them in the previous 18 chapters. And after several commands, he repeats this phrase, I am the Lord your God. In other words, if you're going to be my people, if you're going to represent me, then you have to be like me. You have to love what I love and weep over what I weep over. That's who you ought to be. And in the middle of those commands in 19, he gives them the command to love the immigrant. And he says, because I am the Lord your God. If you're going to meet my people, then you have to love the nations. You have to love people from other nations just like I do. This is what he's saying. And so you continue reading the Old Testament, you see that the command is persistent to love and care for the people that are already in the land. Not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. Actually, when you jump over to the New Testament, you see that now we have an even higher goal than they had in the Old Testament. Because the command is more clear. Jesus comes in and he says, for God so loved the world that he gave us, just like we just sang a minute ago. He says, make disciples of all nations. And you can see that the command, the mission is clear, that he loves people from all nations and he wants to redeem people from all nations. And that he uses immigration to be a tool so that we can reach people from all nations. We see that clearly in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11 in particular. So Ephesus was a city made up of immigrants. Much like Houston, Ephesus was a port city and had people from different parts of the world who had come to the city to try to look for financial wealth and safety and financial opportunities. And, 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 and it turns out that God in his plan had already, before uh, this letter, had sent out Paul to, to take the message of the gospel. They had discovered that salvation was not just for the Jews, but actually for all nations. So Paul began to diff, go to different key cities to share the good news of salvation through Christ, including Ephesus. So when these immigrants were coming to Ephesus looking for financial wealth, they were actually finding finding something far greater, which was a relationship with God and life change through his son, Jesus Christ. And this church was formed and was made up of people from different countries and different nations. And they, they were growing, and even though it was a beautiful thing, there was a little bit of friction because you still had the Jews who had their beliefs and their traditions, and then you had these people who were new believers that had no knowledge of God before the gospel, and so they're trying to figure out, and Paul, inspired by God, writes this letter to teach him how to be the church God wanted them to be and love the people around them even if they came from different countries. And in the first chapter, he reminds them of the grace of God. In chapter 2, he reminds them of the grace of God. And then in verse 10, uh, Pastor Jeff already mentioned it. He says that we were created, not, uh, for not, we're saved not for, or by good works, but for good works. We're designing Christ to do amazing things. And the rest of the letter, he tells them what those amazing things are. And one of those is to be a church of nations, be a church that loves people from different countries. And so you see that Christ's followers are called by God to love the immigrants for the same three reasons that the Israelites were, but also remembering three important things. And the first thing we find it in verses 11 through 13, right there in Ephesians 2, and is that our greatest identity is the one that we have as children of God. 
Look at what it says in Ephesians 2, 11 through 13, it says this. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and stranger, uh, strangers of the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, in the same way that God reminds the Israelites of God's saving grace, Paul, inspired by God, reminds the Christians of God's saving grace and the fact that we have a new identity in Christ, that that should be our greatest identity. And it's interesting that to do that, he actually uses the language of immigration. He said, listen, there's the Jews and there's the Gentiles, and now you Gentiles, which would be the vast majority of us because most likely we don't come from a Jewish background. He said, you have to remember who you were. Remember that you were not a part of the commonwealth of Israel. Remember that you were separated and alienated from the blessings of God. And all of those words, separated, alienated, commonwealth, all of those had to do with kind of the migration language, if you will, of the time which they would have been familiar with because most of them were immigrants in Ephesus. That word uh, commonwealth can also be translated as citizenship. The word alienated is where we get the word alien from. And it's a, a term that we still use in our immigration system to this day, the word alien. When, uh, before I had citizenship, I had something called a green card. Before that, I had an international student status. And if you're going through an immigration process, you are assigned something called an A number. That's your uh, kind of reference number for immigration procedures. And A is not for amazing as I thought it was. <laughs> it's actually for alien, alien number. Every time I saw that, I touched my forehead to see if I had the third eye growing or something. But, but no, it's to refer to someone who's in the land but still doesn't have all the privilege and rights that come uh, to somebody that belongs fully in the land. And that's the word that the Apostle Paul is using to speak of the spiritual status of believers. And I want you to know that the same is true for us. Before he saved us, we were separated and alienated from God's blessings. That, that, that's who we were. Because of our sin, we, were, we didn't have that relationship with God. We didn't belong with God, right? But God in his mercy sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross, pay for our sins so that we could be restored in our relationship with him. And that's why Paul reminds them in verse 13. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you have been brought near. And notice that he doesn't say you earn it, you deserve it. It's not because you're better than other people. It is because God in his grace decided to bring you near. He brought you here through Christ's sacrifice. And again, the same is true for you and I. Christ brought us near. Christ's sacrifice brought us near. And now that we are near, we are called children of God. And that is our identity. And that identity should be more value and higher than any other identity we have. Whether it's a title, whether it's a gender, whether it's a, a, a financial status, whether it's a nationality, our standing as citizen of the kingdom of God, as children of God, is our highest standing. In fact, you have to understand, amen, right? You have to understand that our, our greatest status is not the one that we have here on this earth, but rather our heavenly one. 
That is our most important, our excellent standing that we have as children of God. I don't know about you, but I love seeing all these children out here singing praises to God. Like you heard Pastor Jeff, we had over 2,000 children across our campuses. And when you talk to them in counseling, or as you saw them in, in the, during PBS, children everywhere, you could see they come from different backgrounds. They come from different ethnicities. I talked to a little boy in counseling that was born in Nigeria. And you see all these children in our church coming from different backgrounds, different cultures. They're all wearing the same shirt that says, we are created in Christ for a great purpose. Because before God, if we have Christ, we are all his children children and that is a picture of our church that is a picture of who we want to be and that leads me then to the second point and it is that our greatest goal is to help every person we can come to know Christ just like God called the Israelites to share his mercy with other people we are called to share the saving grace of Jesus Christ with other people as well and that is our greatest goal Look at what Paul said to the Ephesians in chapter two, verse 14 through 18. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. There is a lot of theology there, but basically this is what Paul is is saying. I know that you guys see Jews and Gentiles and you have this division among yourselves, but you have to understand that there is only one man who is our peace. There is only one great identity that we have and that is as children of God. For Christ himself, he says, is our peace. He says, there's only one man who can give us access to the Father through one spirit. And there is that one man who offered his life as a perfect sacrifice, who died on a cross to pay for the sins of all humanity. And he says this, the moment that Jesus died on a cross, he defeated death. The moment that Jesus rose from the dead, he defeated death. And therefore, the wall of hostility that separated us completely came down. It was all gone. He says, so now there is no Jew, there is no Gentile. If you are in Christ, we are one. We are the same. And the same is true for us today. We tend to create these differences among us based on ethnicity or language we speak or nationality and all these barriers. And I want you to know that if we are in Christ Jesus, that barrier came down and now we are simply one big family called the Church of Jesus Christ. Amen. I want you to look around you. I want you to see the beautiful diversity in our church. This is your family. And I want you to know that you have more in common with your brother and sister in Christ who come from a different country and speak a different language than you do than you have with somebody who's from your hometown and speak your language but doesn't know Jesus Christ. This is your family. We are one family called the church. Paul said it to the Galatians this way in Galatians 3.28. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all one in Christ Jesus. We are one body. And our greatest goal should be to help others become part of this great family. 
That's why our vision statement, our purpose statement is to love and lead all people, all people to life change in Jesus Christ. Because it is the heart of the Father to have all people be redeemed. That's who we want to be. That's the church God has called us to be. We, uh, uh, I, I had a conversation with a man in our church. He's part of our connect group, and, and there are two connect groups in our church who have uh, taken on uh, the, the, the joy of their responsibility of blessing a family who just came into our country as refugees. And, and they're coming through from a very painful, very difficult situation. And, and they, they're all scattered out. And finally, little by little, they're all coming together. And they were placed in apartments real close by to our Sugar Land campus. And, and they're all coming together and they're finally trying to get settled in these apartments. And our church, two groups from our church, decided to bless them. And they began to take basic things like pots and pans and some basic furniture. They, they took some groceries for them and, and actually took them grocery shopping and showed them this is how you buy groceries. They help them roll their children in school. Just basic things helping them out. There's a man in those two groups that is actually teaching two of the young men how to drive here in the country. And as he's telling me these things, you can see the joy in his heart. You can see that he's really enjoying this. And, and, and I'm asking, tell me why. He said, man, I've been transformed by the power of God. I want others to experience the same power regardless of where they come from. And that should be our heart. That is the heart of our church. Because if we've been redeemed, then we want others to experience that redemption. That is our greatest goal. We then welcome every person from anywhere in the world to become a part of God's family in our church. That's what we want to be. That's what we ought to do. That's what we want to pursue. We invite and we welcome people in our church so that they can experience the same God that we have experienced. And that leads me to the third point, which is that our greatest purpose is to build the kingdom of God. That is our greatest purpose. Our greatest goal is to share uh, uh, the love of God with other people. Our greatest purpose that we have as saved children of God is to build his kingdom. In the same way God wanted the Israelites to welcome the immigrant and love them so that they could know him and experience him, we are to build the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is made up of people of all nations. Look at what Paul said to the Ephesians in verses 19 through 22. He says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul is saying here, now you're no longer strangers, you're no longer aliens, you're not foreigners, you're not Jews, you're not Gentile, that, that's not your biggest identity now. Now you are children of God. You are a part of the family of God, which means now you have a much greater purpose. And your purpose is not to build your own kingdom on this earth, but it is to build a kingdom that will last forever. To build the kingdom of God. And he's saying, we're building a kingdom that is going to last forever. In fact, the prophets talk about this kingdom hundreds of years ago. He says the apostles preach about this kingdom when they saw Jesus die and resurrect from the dead. And we are to continue to build this kingdom. And he says this kingdom has a very strong foundation, which means it's going to last. 
He says the cornerstone of this kingdom is no other than Jesus Christ himself. Now, in, in those times and in that region, when they would build structures, they would use limestone, and, and, and they would use these limestones, they were big old stones, and, and they would try to get a stone with a corner as close as possible to a 90 degree angle. Because they figure if we can get a wall going in one direction as straight as we possibly can, and another one perpendicular to that one as straight as we possibly can, we can then the chances of that building standing uh, longer are higher. And so a cornerstone was absolutely important. And sure enough, you go to Israel today, you find buildings that are still standing and were built 2,000, 3,000 years ago. And the reason is because they have a good, solid cornerstone. They had a good foundation. And Paul is saying this kingdom that we're building, it sure has a solid cornerstone. Because the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself who gave his life so that we could have a part in this kingdom, so that we could be a part of this kingdom of God. So we can, in confidence, pursue that purpose and understand that our mission then is to help the immigrant experience a saving relationship with God through Christ. If God is allowing people from different countries and different nations to come to our country and to come to our city and to come into our neighborhood, and if love, God loves people from all nations, then that means that God is giving you and I an opportunity to build this wonderful kingdom that he is building. He's building, he's giving you and I an opportunity to be a part of his master plan of building this kingdom that will last for eternity. And so the reason why you have coworkers and neighbors and friends in your kids' schools that come from different countries is because I believe God wants to use you to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. And as a church, we want to equip you and we want to mobilize you so you can love and lead others to experience life change in Jesus Christ. We want to give you the tools that you need so that you can be effective in building the kingdom of God the way God wants us to. And man, I think the, the, the possibilities of this are absolutely endless. Several years ago, we had a man who came from a different country and he came to know Christ here in our church and he was a disciple and his life was transformed and he felt the need to take that gospel back to his country and he left and he went and planted a church. We also had a man who came here and got discipled and was trained and went to seminary. He said, I gotta go back to my country. And he actually started a seminary that to this day, our church supports and is training pastors to reach that country with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now imagine the potential of this, that you and I are all empowered and mobilized to reach people in our neighborhoods, in our community, around us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. People who speak our language and people who don't speak our language. People who are new to the country and people who've been here for a long time, people who are born here, whatever it might be, the potential is endless. There are over 90 countries represented in our church. Imagine what would happen if we equip all of these believers to disciple people from their region, from their part of the world, or to go back on short-term or long-term mission trips, or to go back and plant churches, the potential is endless. And here's the beautiful thing. One day, we will all gather around the throne of God and we will all give him all the praise and all the honor because he deserves it. So I gotta tell you, that's how it ends. 
look at what it says in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. It says this. After this, I look and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The way this is gonna end is one day we're going to be in this kingdom where there is no pain, where there is no sorrow, where there is no suffering, and there are people from different languages, from different nations, from different nationalities, all worshiping one king, the one true God. That's where it ends. And the fact that God is bringing people from all these nations around us means that God is giving us an opportunity to build what he is building. Man, I think we have a great opportunity ahead of us. And you and I should embrace that opportunity. Now, I know that when I say that, some of you might feel overwhelmed. You might feel like, man, I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't know, I don't know my neighbor's language. I don't know uh, what they believe. I don't know all these things. I understand it can be overwhelming. And you and I might not be able to reach everyone, but we can start somewhere. And we can start by doing for one what we would like to do for many. How about that? Start by doing for someone around you, one person, what you wish you could do for many. You have no idea the difference that you can make if you make a difference in one person. When I came to this country, I already told you, I was young, I didn't have any family, I didn't speak the language, I felt lonely, I was desperate. After three, four weeks of being here, it got to a point where I I just, I didn't know what I was gonna do. Things were not how I expected them to be and I was lonely, I was desperate. And there were a couple of families who decided to see this immigrant the way God sees him, as a human being created in his image in need of redemption. And they decided to love me in very simple, tangible ways. They invited me to their house for dinner. They showed me the city. They, they actually studied immigration laws for me and helped me figure out how to be here and go through the right process. They, they just kind of helped me out. And I saw something different in them to the point that it led me to ask questions like, why are you doing this? Who is this God that you believe in? And every time I asked questions, they would point me to the one true savior, Jesus Christ. And they would say, I was lost and then I was found. I was lost in my sin and Jesus died on a cross so that I could be forgiven and he died for you as well. And all of that led me to surrender my life to Christ. And I want you to know that the direction of my life and my eternal destiny were completely transformed because somebody saw an immigrant the way God sees them. And you and I have an opportunity to do the same every single day. We can start by doing for one what you wish you could do for many. Listen, you and I, might not be able to solve all the issues of immigration that are going on in this world. But you and I might be able to change the life of one immigrant in our world. And you and I have no idea what that could mean for the kingdom of God. So I wanna leave you with a tangible step that you can take today. If you are in one of our worship centers, whatever campus you might be, out in the lobbies, you're gonna find tables with some of our local partners that work with immigrants. I wanna invite you, your family, your connect group to actually go and talk to these uh, ministries and see how you can be involved, how you can make a small difference. You are gonna have tangible steps that you can take right there. 
please make sure that you go. But I also want to say this. There might be some of you here who might be feeling like foreigners to God right now. Like, like you don't belong in his family, that, that you don't have that relationship with him that we talked about. I want you to know that if you're here today or if you're watching online, it's because God wanted you to hear that he wants to have that relationship with you, that he wants you to be his child, that he wants you to be a part of his family and his kingdom, and that he sent his son Jesus Christ so that you could have that relationship with him. So if that's you, I want to invite you to talk to a pastor today. I'm going to be here if you're at the Sugarland campus up front for a few minutes. Come talk to me. Or you can go to the Connect room uh, out in our lobbies. All of our campuses have that online. You can talk to our online campus pastor. We are here to help you. But let's start making sure that we view human beings the way God views them. Created in his image and to have a relationship with him regardless of where we come from. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. We are so, so thankful for the grace that you've shown us. Thankful that you saw us in our need, alienated and separated from you and your blessings. And because of that, God, we, 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 are, we just want others to experience that same love, God. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for us. We want others to experience the same grace. So use us so that others can be redeemed as well. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.